0: I want to make sure that it's working on Facebook this time. Last time when I went live, it did not work. Okay, yep, and it looks like we're live, so that's good. Alright, so what's up everyone? Welcome to Talking Christianity Apologetics. My name is Josh Gibbs, and tonight, uh, well rather this afternoon, we've got Randy Krakowski on with us again. And uh, in this episode, we're going to be de- debating the origin of morality. So this should be a fun debate. It should be a good debate, um, and you should be familiar with Randy. But um, he's going to take the position uh, that he's going to explain. It's, it's, um, um, he is a, a self-proclaimed atheist agnostic, and I'm going to give him the chance to kind of explain what that means and uh, what his story is as far as converting from or deconverting from Christianity to the position that he holds now. Uh, so stay tuned with us, and we will... Make sure today that you leave this place knowing
1: that you are saved to the glory of God. Thanks, that one I'm going to choose. If you believe that, friends, you don't know the gospel.
0: Is that The wonder of the
1: cross is that no one gets injustice. If you, if you end up under the
2: wrath of God, it is because you've rejected His provision for you, and you are justly punished for your sin. I think. To what the Scriptures teach, I think the Bible does teach that God desires the salvation of all men. And he has provided uh, for uh, the, the salvation of all men, and therefore anyone who, who ends up under the wrath of God, it is because they have rejected His provo- f- provision for them, and they are justly punished for their sins
1: question that seeks to provide an answer to this question, for whose sins did Jesus die? The extent of the atonement asks the question, for whose sins did Jesus die? There are only two answers, two possible answers to that question. Either Jesus died for the sins of some people, or Jesus died for the sins
0: of all people. All right, so welcome back. I appreciate you guys hanging in with us. Let's go ahead and get Randy on here uh, so that he can join us, and we're going to get rolling. Awesome. So, Randy, uh, I've got you on the screen. Welcome back, man. It's good to it's good to have you on. Thank you. So, um, yeah, it's been a while since you and I last spoke um, in, in the last debate that we did, which if any, if any of you who are, are viewing live right now and haven't had a chance to check that out, Uh, We debated um, whether or not God exists based off of the Kalam cosmological argument. So obviously I would have taken the affirmative, and Randy would have taken the negative. Um, And that was a really good debate, um, and I think that's part of the reason why we wanted to do this debate here tonight. I picked the last topic, and uh, Randy picked tonight's topic, uh, which is going to be the origin of morality. I'm going to take the position, obviously, that uh, morality comes from... From uh, God specifically, the God of Christianity, and and Randy will take the position um, that it doesn't. So that will that that's going to be a fun debate. We've kind of been going back and forth on uh, Twitter a little bit, and we, he's brought up some good points, and uh, hopefully we'll have some counter arguments for those that are worthy of your time to watch and listen and consider. Um, and obviously, when you have conversations like this, it's like um, like Randy and I were talking before. It's like you know, at the end of the day, sometimes you get back into this kind of a circular conversation. And um, I I don't think that we're going to end up doing that, but I think it'll be worth your time to stay with us and to listen to it and to share it and to like it and all of that good stuff. So uh, before we get rolling and I give you the kind of the format for what this is going to look like, I want to give Randy a chance um, for those of you who who may not be familiar with him from our last episode, uh, just to kind of explain a little bit about who he is, what his deconversion from Christianity looked like, uh, what he's doing with his website now and uh, why it's so important to him to interact with Christians um, online when it comes to the conversation about God so Randy if you could just uh, kinda tell us all everything that I just mentioned there, starting with who you are and what your deconversion looked like and and uh, whatever else you want to share with us
2: yeah thank you so um, I was raised here in uh, Buffalo New York uh, Roman Catholic strict Roman Catholic uh, from they call them cradle Catholics and I moved to Maryland, uh, so right into the Bible Belt a little bit, top of the Bible Belt, 1996, right when my first son was born. And my Catholicism waned a little bit. Um, it, you know, it kind of became more cultural as I got into my teen years, but when I was in my early 20s, I moved to, um, to Bethesda, near Bethesda, Maryland. I worked for a video game company called Bethesda Software any gamers would know that name. Um, and I started listening on, on my 40-minute commute to about... Um, charles stanley and hank kind of Graf and truck swindoll and and uh, it's kind of like kind of struck me i was drawn to it a little bit because i like i said i've been raised in a very religious household and it, i um listened to, to these guys talk and it's like wow wow there's something this stuff's defendable it's defensible you know so that piqued my interest so later on that year i i quote unquote gave my life to the lord so from 96 to about 2015 i would say that i i got um not only became a christian but got really involved in apologetics um, just one of those people that always was interested in the truth I, I always told people i followed the truth no matter where it led if it led to buddhism i'd be a buddhist if It led to mormonism i'd be a mormon but i always wanted to keep i just had a hunger for truth and figuring things out um, so it's, it's always been in my nature I, I can actually go back to my grandfather and my father we always were into even though i'm a software developer but i was always into figuring things out mechanically. I always work my hands when I'm not at work doing software development or, or website development. I'm figuring things out. So I was always I was always searching for the truth. And um, raised my kids for the most part. My oldest is now 24. So from 1996, almost 20 years, uh, a, uh, I would call myself a Protestant, um, fundamentalist Christian, evangelical Christian. And it started in Maryland in, in, in a part of the Bible Belt. So... Fast forward to 2015. I started remodeling my house to get it uh, um, p- uh, put up for a sale, and I had a ton of work to do. And I said, you know what? I got a ton of work to do in this house. My kids have beat the heck out of it for for 15, 16 years. I'm going to start listening to music. I got hours and hours, 80 hours worth of work. I'm listening. I said, you know what? My my three boys. My youngest is a is a is a is a Christian. My oldest pretty much is is he was never. Really zealous about it, but my middle one was an atheist. My wife and my middle one were kind of atheists, so I said, you know, what would the Lord have me do um, if I'm going to, you know, spend hours doing this instead of listening to music or whatever? How about I, I kind of do research on atheism and and start to understand the where they're coming from, so I can reach my my son and my wife, my middle son and my wife, if they ever have objections to this, um, you know, if they because they they pretty much left self- school proclaimed atheists. My, my middle son as much, much as he could as a teenager said dad I really just don't I'm just not buying it the whole story's kind of sketchy and I of course as a Christian father I'm just kind of upset I'm like you know who are you to tell me I'm you know 35 years old I'm older than you are um you know obviously if it was false or something I would know about it so regardless I figured the Lord had me kind of disc- just. um do research and be equip myself to to come up with the best response to an atheist wife and to an atheist uh son so fast forward nine ten twelve months i'm, I'm remodeling my house and listen to every debate i could every every um podcast every debate and i it, it kind of started chipping away just arguments you know i always was taught and listen to apologetic christian apologetics it's like it's almost like a slam dunk argument um, you know, obviously, just look at the trees, there's there's designer, just look at DNA, just look at a, a cell, but as I'm listening to these debates and that, and as as the, the top theologians are going against the top scientists, I'm not hearing convincing arguments from the theological side, and the more research I do on it, I see that the theological um, arguments are kind of falling apart. They're more wishful thinking, they're not... so. I started talking to my a uh, good friend who was a youth pastor. Um, I started talking to my current pastor at my church, and he said, well, what, are you, "What are you trying to say?" They both kind of was funny because they both kind of had the same conclusion. They said, "What are you trying to say? Are you, are you trying to say they're lying? That they're are being dishonest?" And I, I'm thinking like, you know what? Based on what I'm hearing, whenever I follow up on something, whenever something's contested in a debate, and I go and do research on it, I, I find out that they're using a quote from Darwin that that's that's been on that was had sections omitted or it's out of context or it's from a like a, a ken ham website some kind of like a, a kent hoven ken ham like pseudoscientific website like you know there's this is kind of annoying so that's what i started and i think it was 2018 i started um documenting all this stuff and i said you know what this is a, a bunch of garbage i'm kind of tired of all these half-truths and and a lot of these projects are on the radio and, and are doing debates and that like the William Lane Craig Sam Harris debate I think they both got paid like twenty five thousand dollars to do that debate at Notre Dame I said yeah this is ridiculous um, I, don't, I just don't understand how these people can get away with this for you know um, doing misquotes and half-truths and, and fudging science and uh, showing in, um Different conclusions than what the actual scientists had, had said concluded, so that's that was kind of where the website was birthed. I started documenting this like in a Word doc, and then eventually I said this has to be a website at some point. Um, you know, this is this is nuts, and so that's that's where AligningForJesus dot org um, came because it's it's basically people in my this estimation trying to protect their investment. They've put their life into something. They've gone too far. They're in it with both feet and. Instead of saying, you know what, time out, some of this isn't isn't adding up. They they kind of double down and say, you know what, I can find a, an old scientist from the 1800s that will support what I what I think. I can I can find this website Answers in Genesis that can support what I think. So that site now is is a I think it's uh, seven or eight uh, famous apologists that have lied about different things, whether it's their credentials, whether it's about evolution, whether it's about homosexuality. They basically just lied about things, and then just this past week, I launched a new section called Evidence-Based Memes, and what that's doing is, that is basically a popular meme, I'm going to take one one a month, and I'm going to put a meme up that is circulating around the internet that, that people may or may not have seen, and I'm going to document the val- validity of it, and I, I did one um, I launched it, I think uh, just thir- Wednesday or Thursday, I launched one, we can talk about that later if we, if we ever get into it, but that's it's, the website's probably going to have that feature now, like Evidence Based um, memes because people are, circulate these memes and they know do you know if they're true or not? So that, that can get annoying if it's if it's a kind of like a Christian propaganda or atheist propaganda type of meme. To me, that's annoying because you're still not getting the truth when you have that kind of stuff. You're just making character, character characterization of or character of Christianity or a character of atheism. I, I want the actual truth. Is, is there facts behind this or is it someone just trying to? Again, lie to and fudge the the truth to to make a point, and basically to make their own agenda. So, hope that was hope I didn't talk too fast there, but I tried to put twenty five years into five minutes.
0: No, you're good, man. I do appreciate that. And one thing um, before we get rolling, I do want to say, obviously, you've got a lot of conviction for why you believe what you believe now, and it has a lot to do with uh, your experience of of uh, what what christianity has kind of been as far as the experience for you personally as well as for your family and and when it comes to this website you and i had talked the last time about um kind of what the purpose of it was and and i had asked you you know like do you think that this disproves christianity and and your response was um i mean are you the guy who messaged me um about whether or not this disproves Christianity? because you you had told me there was somebody when you and i had that conversation um, that literally had brought that up with you so recently that you thought it might be me, which it wasn't. Um, but but um, obviously, the website's not uh, presupposing or supposing that it provides evidence to show that Christianity isn't true, but to you, it it, it shows um, kind of the, the backside or the hypocrisy of Christianity, of which, um, you know, it, I think that it's good for people to look into this stuff and see whether or not um, it's true or whether or not it's false, so... Um that would be my perspective on it. but if there's anything that you want to piggyback on that before we jump into kind of what the structure for our debate is going to look like let's let's hit that first
2: I guess the only thing I could say would be that um, if if Christianity is true or if a version of Christianity is true, it's not true for the reasons that these guys that that popular theologians are are saying it's not true because it it's a it's a defeater or an answer or a valid opposition to biological evolution. Um, it's, and it's, it gets a little bit more complex than that because like Ravi, Ravi Zacharias, world renowned apologist, um, quote unquote intellectual. And the guy who started Ravi watch, which I've been in contact with and I have permission to, to link to his site and use some of his research. Um, he he was convincing um, atheists. He, he had converted atheists in the past, and, and and even this guy, I think his name is Stephen. Um, if you ever go to RaviWatch.com, it's 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 pretty amazing um, how he's fooled millions of people into thinking that he has doctorate degrees and and he's a doctor of, of philosophy and theo- you know theology and things like that. And he studied under a great physicist. None of it ends up ends up being true. He's actually gotten to even more problem now. He he was having a kind of like a a. a, a a sexting affair with a woman in her congregation that he um is is denying but then she showed the actual evidence um of the conversation stuff like that and he threatened suicide if she came out all this stuff but anyway it's so he what what got steve to to uh, start com was he, he he heard robbie's um arguments and said and and he looked at Ravi's credentials and said, this guy has, you know, years and years of studying. He knows all about this stuff. There might be something to this Christianity thing. But as he dug deeper, he found the arguments really didn't hold water, and then he found that Ravi really didn't have degrees. So there's, there's this form of Christianity that is kind of like uh, evangelizing a secular world for the worse, and the tactics they're using, I think, need to be exposed. So I guess to, to put it in a nutshell, if there's a version of Christianity that's true, it's not the version that these these famous theologians that are on the radio and on TV today are are espousing.
0: Yeah, um, and I'll say this, I'll say this, Ed, kind of as, as my last comment before we jump into it. I don't think that um, any, any Christian um, would, would obviously espouse that we live perfect lives, or, or like we're not hypocrites, or that we don't have certain things about our lives that um, I mean, in, in in my opinion, you know what? i'm I'm a sinner. Uh, there's There's so much about my life that is not perfect. There's things that I've lied about. there's things that I do that are not good. Um, and obviously those those are things that can hurt your testimony as a Christian. but um, I, I think at the end of the day that what we're espousing for when it comes to um, what we believe in is is not hinged off of the credibility of our own witness, but the witness of Christ. Um, And so with that said, I want to put the format for for what the debate is going to look like up on the screen for you all. It's going to be 25 minutes each for Randy and then for myself to lay out our personal position and address any supposed issues with the opposing view. Then we'll transition to 10 minutes of cross-examination each after we do our introductions. That'll be followed by five-minute rebuttals. And then seven minutes open dialogue before we go to three-minute closing statements each. Uh, so let me ask you, Randy, would you like to go first or second? And uh, I can get the timer up on the board for our first um, 25 minutes.
2: Actually, I probably would prefer to go first because I, my fear is that I'm going to be too consumed with, <laughs> with responses to your, your opening, that I'm not going to get through mine or something.
0: Okay. So I yeah, guess that'll to, work. Save
2: me, to save me for myself.
0: Okay, you got it. Let me get the timer up here, and Oop, twenty-five minutes. Okay, sweet. And you're ready to go. Have at it whenever you're ready.
2: All right. So, um, the the origins of morality. So um, survival and reproduction. The goal of survival and reproduction is as old as the first uh, single-celled organism that emerged on this planet over, over 3 billion years ago. Um, now, fast forward through time from 3, 3 billion years ago to about 215 million years ago when the first mammals began to emerge. We find survival and re- reproduction as the main goals still, but eventually we discover more complex organisms that we call mammals with genes that produce new chemicals, chemicals called oxytocin and vasopressin. Those chemicals allow mammals to have the capacity for affection to care for their young, and in some mammals, such as humans, those same chemicals encourage the formation of long-term relationships and bonding. So, enter kin selection. Kin selection, also known as biological altruism, with these more complex mammals, we begin to observe kin selection. Kin selection is the evolutionary process that favors the reproductive success of an organism, species as a whole, even at at the cost of the organism's own survival and reproduction. The final final arbiter of evolution is actually not fitness. Uh, most people think better, faster, stronger. Rather it's the passing on of genes of one's genes in most cases. Kin selection is when animals behave in a way that allows them to protect the kin around them, even at the risk of the animal itself. So it's more it, it it's broadened from individual uh, gene passing on to actual um, group of Genes passing on. So, for instance, white-tailed deer, ground squirrels, bees. Um, these all, they all in um, in biology, they they all express this kind of selection. A white-tailed deer. Um, here in New York, we have deer everywhere in our backyards and uh, in the street. It's just there's so many deer. Anyways, they're brown and they they live in uh, t- tall brown grass and t- tall brown woods. But when there's a predator that comes and there's a few of them. They'll actually flip their tails up, which are bright white, and they'll run, and they'll try and distract the predator. Even if it means one of them gets killed, their kin pass on that gene that that allows their kin to to survive another day. Uh, brown squirrels, same, very similar. They have a bright tail undersides. They also emit like a screech. Um, even if the predator doesn't see them first, they'll actually emit a screech, and they'll they'll um, they'll uh, draw the predator to them and sacrifice themselves. Uh, bees actually disembowel themselves. They'll, for, in the interest of the hive, they'll actually go and, and disembowel themselves and sting someone and, and, sacrifice their lives to, to save the hive. So that genetic information is passed on. Um, if a behavior saves multiple of its kin, more genetic information of that species gets passed on. Kin selection also happens with insects. As a, as I meant, mentioned before, some insects like bees and that are born sterile. Their only purpose is to protect the kin. So that they may pass on genetic information. Through time, these genes in mammals do things like, um, or, I'm sorry, through time, these genes result in mammals doing things like sharing food with one another, gathering for safety, rearing young together, building communities and relationships together, and this induces compassion, sympathy, empathy, guilt, and even love. Um, in his book, The Moral Animal, author and professor of, of science and religion at Union Theological Seminary, Robert Wright, notes that if one ape receives even a single gene mutation that allows it to love its offspring more than other apes, you may not notice it in a single generation, but if that gene provides just a slight survival advantage over other apes' offspring, that species, um, of that species, more importantly, that genetic information is going to continue to thrive. Over time and generations, that population of apes is going to be slightly more compassionate than the population that came before it. Likewise, with humans, we, we do good for one another, like saving someone's life, even if, if uh, we don't know the person. It's innate within us by way of natural selection and effort to pass on genes of our species. In early humans, spreading genes meant working to, with your neighbors, having a sense of which behaviors were acceptable and which were not. Speaking of early humans, um, Stony Brook biology professor George C. Williams says, if an individual who maximizes his friendships and minimizes his antagonisms... Will have that individual will have an evolutionary advantage. Selection will favor those characteristics that promote optimization of personal relationships. And then Robert Wright again goes on to say, animals, including humans, often execute evol- evolutionary logic not via conscious calculation, but by following their feelings, which can often lead to logical executors. One example would be when you when you see a person with their hands full at a store, you you go and you get the door for them, and you don't ask yourself. Wait, do they have genes that I would like to see passed on in our species? You just, you just act on it. Um, it's, it's built with, within, our, within our DNA. Now, in the last century um, or two, as we advanced technologically, we built up upon cooperation, working together and maximizing well-being of others, helping all of humanity instead of just our kin, reducing harm as much as possible for as many people as possible. This is why our morals are so strikingly similar to one another, regardless of our situation. In our religious view, a Buddhist would hold the door just like a Christian would, just like a Muslim would, just like an atheist would. Um, and then eventually, as human communication and reflection became more advanced, ethical theories were formulated that turned care for others into universal principles. As, the pol- as in the policy that morality is based on, the rights of all people and the consequences that affect everyone. Uh, Patricia Churchland, professor of philosophy at University of California, summarizes like this: Moral norms are shaped by four interlocking brain processes—caring, recognition of others' psychological states, learning social practices, and problem-solving in a social context. Hence, the origins of morality are both neural and social. Attempts to improve society by making more, it more responsive to people's needs should consider all these processes. It's not a coincidence that the more complex a mammal is, the more rational that species is. Um, The more rational that species is, the more able it is to adhere to moral norms. Um, And it has the ability to often reason out what the moral thing is to do in a given circumstance. Anthropologists notice that many species of mammal are extremely social when compared to reptiles, fish, anthropods, etc. Mammals feel angst. When they are separated, they groom each other. They console each other. They uh, they grieve the death of close individuals. They share food. They hunt um, in a concerted fashion, and they cooperate in defense. And this is all mammals. It's not even speaking of humans at this point. We're talking about you know lower primate mammals. Scientists attribute this to uh, unique warm-bloodedness. Gram for gram, warm-blooded creatures. Have to consume 10 times as many calories as cold-blooded creatures due to to endothermy basically their warm bloodedness Um, the environmental pressure of having to catch and consume that much food also caused generations that survived to possess scaled-up intelligence the learning mechanisms that evolved from reptiles have been scaled up as they have evolved into mammals and if you look at evolutionary it it goes you know single-celled organisms into fish into amphibians into reptiles into mammals um, which we are now. Um, just for anyone who, who, if I'm talking too fast. Um, so the learning mechanisms evolved from reptiles that have been scaled up as they evolved in the mammals. What this evolved into is the learning part of the brain called the cerebral cortex. It's a six-layer structure that mammals have that non-mammals do not have. Um, it can get larger as a species evolves. In order to um, in order for one to make the most of the cortex, it has to be born at a very immature age and take a long time to mature. Um, thus, thus it, it lends itself to feeding the cortex and allowing the cortex to develop. On average, it takes 25 years for a human cortex to fully develop. And anyone who has teenagers at home will, will understand this, um, that it <laughs> that their brain is in a very strange state. They're, they're physically big enough to be responsible and to protect themselves, but mentally, they're kind of... That, that cortex isn't developed yet. Um, anyone who's pre-25 or has kids pre-25, that, that teenage year uh, span is very, very, uh, you know, testing. Um, so this long maturity requires mammals to take care of their young very closely. It allows uh, social bond in the species from birth. It also pressures um, the scope of the species to expand from the me to me and mine mentality. This is what causes sociality. Um, you don't see this in reptiles, amphibians, etc. With non-mammals, the parents are normally long gone. With the exception of a few reptiles and amphibians, they kind of lay the eggs. They kind of, once they're hatched, in that they kind of take off on them. It's mammals that rear their young and stay with them a long time. Um, enter acceptation. exaptation. Exaptation. E x a p t a t i o n. Many people might not have heard of it. Uh, the uh, mother nature, as she often does, she takes an old mechanism and repurposes it. So this is called ex- acceptation. Feathers are a classic example. They were initially a genetic mutation that's that stuck because they're beneficial for thermal regulation, a.k.a. keeping warm. But later, due to environmental pressures, they gradually proved useful for flight. With mammals, as I mentioned, we see the ex- existence of oxytocin and vasopressin. They emerged as useful for mother-infant bonding initially. However, they further evolved into pair bonding between mammalian parents. They are responsible for sociality and pair bonding. How women now see men is an acceptation of how they initially saw their infants. And how men see women is an acceptation of, of how men viewed uh, women. Or I'm sorry. Um, how. how me- I'm sorry. Uh, how men see women is an acceptation of how they viewed and were attached to territory and property. The functions of vasopressin include um, promoting pair-bonding territoriality, uh, selective aggression toward mating competition. Oxytocin triggers uh, 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 maternal behavior, promotes pair-bonding, reduces vigilance of, of, of unfamiliar mating competition in loving primates, and promotes cooperation between unrelated humans. These and other chemicals are responsible for doing a fundamental work of sociality and making us bond and attach and want to help one another. And then the, the last part of my intro is, um, enter social cooperation. Humans, this species that thrive in our capacity. right, I'm sorry, there's an echo. Um, enter social co- cooperation. Humans are the kind of species that thrive on our capacity when we have a cooperative endeavor. If if we didn't, we would have already died out, and we wouldn't be here discussing this. The environment of this planet favored the survival of those who were compassionate and cooperative. Um, experiments have been done with toddlers; they have even been seen to they've been observed to favor friendly puppets over mean puppets. They will even help individuals that drop their keys when their hands are full. Um, a toddler will actually pick up them and try and hand them back to an individual, even if the individual is a stranger. It's not an aunt or uncle or parent. We see the same exact uh, behavior in chimpanzees and bonobos, who also have pro-social moral tendencies. Um, and what that is, you, you um, morality is you know a sense of right and wrong, a sense of fairness, a sense of equality, and how I how I have uh, morality defined is. Um, it's a system of ideas about right and wrong conduct. It's a navigation of a species to discover what's in its, in its best own interest. Um, all you need for a moral system is a desire to do good, a goal of good, and understanding what, what good is. Um, when we assess a moral valuation of something, it's the consequences of an action with, and in this case, in human's case, the goal is well-being. Uh, whether you're religious or not, if you're secular or religious, your your goal is still going to be well-being. Um, and morality has to do with not only behavior, but also intentions. Um, well-being, well-being is a standard for mor- morality, and survival, equality, autonomy are building blocks and a guide to morality. I, would also, I guess I would also add liberty. So survival, equality, liberty, autonomy are building blocks and a guide to morality. And I just wanted to play that one video, um, just so t- this doesn't sound. I know I I kind of like drink out of a fire hose. I I put two weeks of thought into you know seven minutes, but um, I just want this, want this to sound like it's something out there that's you know strange. Um, this, I think this video it's two and a half minutes. If I still have two and a half minutes left, I can uh, I can show this video that it's uh, capuchin monkeys and they're. Obviously, they're not human. They don't have what a religious person would call a soul. They don't have... They're not um, endowed with some kind of you know, soul, or soulment, or a supernatural bent. They don't recognize Jesus. They don't recognize Muhammad. They don't recognize Lord Krishna. Uh, but yet, they still have a sense of fairness. They still have a sense of morality. They have a, still have a sense of navigating what's right and wrong in their species, what's fairness, what equality is. So um, I can play this video whenever we're ready
0: yeah you got it whenever you want to if you're sharing your screen you should be able to do it anytime
2: how do I go about that
0: in Skype there's an option there's a there's two squares down in the bottom right corner if you click that it'll allow you to share screen yeah there we go at least I can see the Skype emblem I can't see you anymore but you might you're definitely doing something
2: All right, I think I think
0: we're good. Um, not yet. I <laughs> we can just see the Skype emblem.
2: Yeah. And, no, I I didn't, I didn't open it yet, but oh, oh okay. I'm successfully. sure. Oh, I see.
0: Sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever you're ready, then.
2: C- can you hear that and everything?
0: No, I can't hear anything, and I can't see anything either. Um, if you want to, you can send me the link, and I could play it on my end.
2: Yeah, we'll just do that.
0: Okay, let me pause the. Well, is it on YouTube? I take it. Yeah. Okay.
2: Can Cancel that. I'll go back. To- How do I send you
0: the bullet Um. um okay, I got it. Okay. Okay. For those of you who are watching, sorry about that. We're gonna. I'm gonna try to get this up. And what minute mark do I go to? You
2: can play the whole thing. It's like two and a half minutes. It should be pretty fast.
0: All right, give me just a second. I'm going to start this over and share the screen with you folks watching at home. Okay.
2: Uh, I'll also give you five bucks if you don't want. To so, the
1: final experiment that I want to mention to you and, and, is our fairness study. <laughs> uh, and so, this, did, this became a very famous study and is now. Wow, well, that's more lagging really this. bad. After we did this about 10 years ago. Uh, it became very well known. And we did that originally with capuchin monkeys, and I'm going to experiment Oof. we did. It has now been done with dogs, and with birds, and with chimpanzees. Um, but with Sarah we started out with capuchin monkeys. So what we did is we put two capuchin monkeys side by side. Again, these animals, they live in a group. They know each other. We take them out of the group, put them in a test chamber. And there's a very simple task that they need to do. And if you give both of them cucumber for the task, the two monkeys side by side, they're perfectly willing to do this 25 times in a row. So cucumber, even though it's really only water, in my opinion, with cucumber, is perfectly fine for them. Now if you give the partner grapes, the, the food preferences of my butcher monkeys correspond exactly with the prices in the supermarket. And so, if you give them grapes, it's a far better food, uh, then you create mm-hmm. inequity between them. So that's the experiment we did. Recently we videotaped it with new monkeys... You know
0: what, I'm gonna stop that. That maybe that audio is just so bad, man. I don't... It, there's a massive lag going in here, so I'm gonna cut this back to you, and. Uh, put you on the screen if if you could um, bring the camera back to you on Skype. Can um, try it. Yeah, if you want to if you can, that's that'd be fine. But it's just it, it's not even it's just it's gonna be awful for anybody that's viewing it. So um, unless you just want to give a rundown on what it was about,
2: you think it'll do the same thing for me if I play it?
0: No, I don't. I think it's gotta be. I it's gotta no, be something on my end. You're running mind. too
2: much. You're running a lot of stuff at once. Is yes. Why, maybe. Yeah, I think so eating up all your bandwidth?
0: Yep. Yeah.
2: All right. Um, let me try. So yeah, so let me try that. Let me. If I. Okay, so if I go back to those boxes, I choose Chrome tab. Share. Let me know if this works.
0: Yep. Yeah, we've got it. Okay. You're good. I just can't hear anything. Yeah, we can see it, we just can't hear it, Randy.
2: Um yeah, that'll be a problem. Um so what would is there do I do I like not have my volume on?
0: For well, yeah, you would have to have the volume coming through either your system if you've got your headphones plugged into the system, or um, if you if you um, well, you've got your headset for your mic, so.
2: So if I if I unplug that, will
0: it work? Yeah, I it I think that it would work if you unplug your headset and just play the volume. But if it doesn't, let's just. Um, have you give us a rundown, as, and that'll be yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's working. So, a final experiment
1: that I want to mention to you is our fairness study. Uh, and so this, did, this became a very famous study, and there's now many more, because after we did this about 10 years ago, uh, it became uh, very well known. And we did that originally with capuchin monkeys. And I'm going to show you the first experiment that we did. It has now been done with dogs, and birds, and chimpanzees. Ms. and we started out with capuchin monkeys. So what we did is we put two capuchin monkeys side by side. Again, these animals, they live in a group. They know each other. We take them out of the group, put them in a test chamber. And there's a very simple task that they need to do. And if you give both of them cucumber. Q- for the task the two monkeys side by side they're perfectly willing to do this 25 times in a row so cucumber even though it's really only water in my opinion the cucumber is perfectly fine for them now if you give the part the grapes the the, the food preferences of my kitchen monkeys correspond exactly with the prices in the supermarket and so if you give them of food uh, then you create inequity between them so that's the experiment we did Recently we videotaped it with new monkeys who never done the task, thinking that maybe they would have a stronger reaction and that turned out to be right. The one the left is cucumber, right. The one who gets cucumber, note that the first piece of cucumber is perfectly fine. The first piece she eats. Uh, then she sees the other one getting grape and you will see what happens. So she gives a rock to us, that's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she, she, the other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now, gets again cucumber. Now against the wall, he needs to give it to uh, and to get the again. <laughs> so this is basically the Wall Street protest that you see here. Yep. So that
2: that's it. Um, okay. So wanted to um, go back to I guess I the yeah so that I just wanted to, uh, that kind of ties up in my intro I want to show that, that that sense of fairness equality liberty
0: can we get your video back by chance and I can't hear you either okay I can hear you again but we can't see you. Or at least I heard something
2: um, can you hear me now?
0: Yep, I can hear you. Just can't see you yet.
2: And
0: yeah, down in the bottom of, um, in the center, you should have a um, a video button. There we, go. there we go. Okay.
2: Yeah. Sorry. Last time I used Skype was with you, so <laughs> not, not a frequent flyer. Um, so I guess just to summarize, the reason I wanted to show that was it kind of tied in with my intro that that uh. The sense of fairness, uh, liberty, um, equality—that's—it's—it's—it's innate with within uh, organisms, especially mammals. The more complex and the more sentient and sapient a mammal becomes, the more um, the larger sense of of equality. And um, we see that with with lower primates. We see that with with, um, even I think some some insects even. But obviously, with humans being at the top of the of the uh you know the food chain so to speak and with with those capuchin monkeys and that you see i mean they they were exhibiting virtually you know Homo sapien behavior at that point they they the the one on the right was saying listen or on the left was saying listen you know i'm doing the same task at one point you even see her like testing the rock like am i not did i not give you did i not complete the task you know you can kind of make an analogy to a workplace thing with humans you know I, I did the same amount of work I, I deserve the same amount of pay it's immoral to give me something different so long story short that that, that sense of um, fairness and morality and right and wrong and inequality is innate within, within um, all organisms on this planet at least and especially as, as you get to complex mammals like ourselves
0: okay awesome man so is that going to be a wrap for your introduction then okay perfect let me get to my notes and i'll put the clock up for me i'll have 25 minutes and then i'll get rolling on my side okay cool awesome um yeah thanks again randy for coming on i do appreciate you being willing to do another debate with me and uh, being that this is the topic that you you picked Um, I am really excited to have this conversation for a lot of reasons, Um, especially now uh, I I didn't know what to expect on who was going to go first or second, and I'm totally fine going second because it does give me a little bit more of an understanding on what your position is within the naturalist worldview. So uh, let me start with this statement, and then I'll build on it from there. Uh, The evil in the world presupposes a perfect standard. C.S. Lewis begins Mere Christianity with the premise that an objective moral law, such as even common disagreements, presupposes and entails a moral lawgiver. There is something which is directing the universe, and which appears in me as a law urging me to do right, and making me feel responsible and uncomfortable when I do wrong. I think we have to assume it's more like a mind than it is like anything else we know, because after all, the only thing we know is matter and you can hardly imagine a bit of matter giving instruction. Now those are the words of C.S. Lewis, um, but I wanna follow up uh, with this. Um, The first thing uh, when we're talking about morality and specifically the origin of morality, one thing that I think that we need to recognize is the the first thing is realize what moral arguments are claiming and what they're not claiming. So some of the things that the morality argument um, is not claiming would be, we're not claiming as theists um, to be more moral than atheists. It's not claiming that atheists cannot be moral people. We're not claiming that atheists cannot know anything about morality. We're not claiming atheists cannot have some good reasons for their moral choices. We're not claiming that morality cannot appear to arise from natural processes and we're not claiming that objective morals are or have to be universally agreed most supposed refutations of the moral argument on the internet they only attend to those six straw men arguments and I don't believe that Randy actually did any of those he just gave a positive presentation for where he believes uh, morality has originated through an evolutionary process And I can totally respect his perspective on it, but I do believe that it is lacking, and um, I'm hoping to draw that out as we go along here. So, there is a moral law. This debate is about the origin of morality, and not necessarily whether or not there is a God. Since you all know that I'm taking the position of a Christian, I will presuppose the necessity for God in my argument. Although I'll make a case that morality necessitates the, the existence of a transcendent moral lawgiver, I'll stick to the argument for the origin of morality as opposed to an explanation for the existence of God as much as possible. Now, since the Christian God is a moral being, and since humankind is created in God's image, a moral corollary of theism is that the ultimate duty of people is to obey moral law, having originated from the moral lawgiver. And is written in our scripture to be written on the hearts of all men this law is absolutely binding since it comes from god it is over and above any human laws it is prescriptive and not merely descriptive as are all laws of nature rewards and punishment await each individual life like all of history is pointed towards an end or a goal human moral actions have necessary consequences in how one adheres to the moral law yet this adherence to moral law is not the basis of one attaining eternal life within the christian worldview some modern theists minimize or even negate the punishment aspect of human destiny and hope that all might be saved or at least annihilated if unsaved but traditional theists believe this is wishful thinking the bible teaches that christians will be judged based on their faith in jesus christ as their personal savior which i'm guessing we will get to probably the sacrifice of jesus um, or in the morality behind eternal punishment at some point in this debate and perhaps the conversation in the dialogue portion to determine whether or not that was in fact good or evil now all, all theists do acknowledge a day that will bring about justice this is what we call evaluation or judgment many non-theists do literally believe that theism is too good to be true Sigmund Freud in fact wrote quote we say to ourselves it would indeed be very nice if there were a god who was both creator of the world and a benevolent providence if there were a moral world order and a future life but at the same time it seems very odd that this is all this all is just as we wish it our. as <laughs> this is all as we wish it ourselves the real question of course is not how satisfying a view is but whether or not it is true many non-theists believe that it is not true and uh, the very nature of morality, it's one of which necessitates justice for any evil. Randy spoke about this in his, in his presentation. If one were to ask what good and evil is, that is the nature of epistemology and not one of ontology. This debate should focus on the ontology rather than the, the epistemology. So I'm going to give two arguments in two different forms for the moral argument. Randy can decide which he would like to argue against c.s lewis's argument is four points first there must be an objective universal moral law or else no ethical judgments make any sense nothing could be called evil or wrong and there would be no reason to keep promises or treaties two this moral law does not originate with us in fact we are bound by it three the source of this law is more like mind than matter and it cannot be part of the universe any more than an architect can be part of the building he designs Number four. Therefore, there exists a moral lawgiver who is the ultimate source and standard of all right and wrong. Now, the second argument. This is going to be a more basic argument. The one that majority of you all have probably heard is point number one, premise one: moral laws require a moral lawgiver. Number two: there is an objective moral law. And then number three: therefore, there is a moral lawgiver which transcends the origin of these moral laws. Now let's break this down a bit morality is evidence (laughs) says (laughs) he say hi to everybody who's watching right now we're talking about morality (laughs) hey go back up with mom okay i'll be done in just a minute can you wait for me do i get a hug can i have a hug oh i love you all right go back up with mom and i'll play with you in a minute okay Okay, um, so let, let's break that down a little bit. The morality. Uh, morality. Um, depending on which argument you want to go with, it really doesn't matter. Um, either one of those is going to be broken down by these subpoints. So sub-point one is going to be morality is a rational enterprise. Uh, number two is moral realism is true, meaning moral facts and values exist moral problems and disagreements among humans are too great for us to assume moral facts and values are grounded in a human source of rationality. That's a huge point. Number four, moral facts and values are grounded in a necessary rational source. Number five, this source is what we call God and therefore God must exist to have moral law. Now, to have morality, one must have a nature and capacity by which they can choose between good and evil, uncoerced, having an understanding of the nature of what is good and the consequences of one's evil actions. This formula comes from Braxton Hunter, of which Jonathan Pritchett Pritchett sent this to me uh, to use in this debate in particular. It goes like this. Premise one, if God does not exist, then libertarian free will does not exist. Premise two, libertarian free will does exist, So conclusion, therefore, God exists. The sub points for this argument would go like this, and I I came up with these. Um, One is God has free will. Two, God created man in his image. So three, God granted man free will at the creation of Adam and Eve. Four, Adam and Eve chose evil. Five, man never lost free will after the fall. And six, man has a choice between good and evil today in a nature by which they are able to choose between good and evil. Okay, so now you've seen, you've seen a positive presentation for why I believe what I believe about morality and how it originates back to the moral lawgiver being the god of Christianity. Uh, so let's talk about a few of the problems with the naturalist model. These would be the problems that uh, Randy holds to and what he actually espoused in his presentation. So first, the naturalist does not account for what we call oughts. It, is only, account, it only accounts for what is That is, Randy can tell you what his perception of what right and wrong is, but he cannot account for where right and wrong originated. That would be the ought. Everything is ultimately determined in the naturalist worldview, as we will see. You have to have something outside of knowledge of what is right and wrong in order to determine whether or not these naturalistically, genetically, determined molecules in motion... Have any grounding for determining what is moral that is what one ought to do in other words for the sake of analogy it would be like saying you know that you are in a dream the only way to know that you are in a dream is to come out of that dream in order to claim that you were in fact in a dream it's the same for your argument on the origin of morality within an evolutionary perspective You have to have some grounds to establish the truth of this moral claim that is outside of the nature of the claim itself. You cannot do this within an evolutionary model if everything is determined by one's genetic makeup. You are only dancing to your DNA and have no way of stepping outside of quote-unquote what is to determine what one ought to do. Now, the naturalist cannot account for consciousness or what Randy called sentience as it relates to the origin of morality. Without an account of consciousness or sentience, one has no grounds to establish morality. Now, consciousness is the quality or state of being aware of an external object or something within oneself. It's been defined as subjectivity, awareness, sentience, the ability to experience or to feel, wakefulness, having a sense of selfhood, and the executive control system of the mind. In 2004, there were eight neuroscientists who felt it was too soon for a definition of, um, of consciousness. They were quoted in the publication of the Human Brain Function in saying, quote, We have no idea how consciousness emerges from the physical activity of the brain, and we do not know whether consciousness can emerge from non-biological systems, such as computers. Unquote. The prominent atheist Richard Dawkins in The Selfish Gene notes, quote, "...the evolution of the capacity to simulate seems to have culminated in subjective consciousness. Why this should happen is, to me, the most profound mystery facing modern biology." Unquote. This, of course, begs the question, can non-conscious matter produce human consciousness, and how do you get consciousness from subconsciousness? Now, New York University philosopher and atheist Thomas Nagel wrote an entire book on the subject called Mind and Cosmos, why the materialist neo-Darwinian conception of nature is almost certainly false. Though he remains an atheist, he argues that the theory of evolution is inadequate to account for the undeniable reality of human consciousness. If you would even take Daniel Dennett's approach and say that your consciousness is just an illusion. You would have to have some means by which you can step out and away from your consciousness in order to determine whether or not it is in fact an illusion. If not, it is again a subjective interpretation of your consciousness as we compare this to stepping out of your moral framework to determine what is moral. You have to have something that transcends morality to determine what is morally good. And Randy does not have this within his moral model, but he is claiming To presuppose consciousness and the origin of consciousness within an evolutionary model that no other evolutionary biologist or scientist or neurobiologist or um, cosmologist can come up with. So this is a very novel idea that Randy is espousing himself that it seems no one agrees with. Sam Harris says this, quote, the rewarding conscious states constitute human flourishing should be available to all, not just a privileged few. It's an objective moral truth certified by science that we should seek, quote, the heights of happiness for the greatest number of people, unquote. And that's on page 28 um, of his book. Some conceptions of morality prevent many from flourishing, so there's a disparity between what some believe about morality and moral reality human flourishing should be universal, unquote. But here's the problem with this science does not establish for anyone that it's morally incumbent on them as opposed to instrumentally useful to endorse the flourishing of all so even if sam can come up with a moral code like randy has it does not establish the ontology of morality just the usefulness of morality employed to societal goals it can help specify means to achieve ends given basic non-instrumental values, but it cannot prescribe such values. To assert a basic moral imperative is to be gripped by a conception of the good, not to discover one's values in the fabric of the cosmos as we do elementary particles and natural laws. Now, if your thoughts and actions are determined by your DNA... Then you have no reason to trust the very thoughts themselves, and certainly the grounds by which you can get any justice for evil, and thereby you must reject the evolutionary grounds by which one comes to understand what is and what is not moral. Evolution does not get you to morality. If anything, it only is descriptive of what you perceive to be reality and not prescriptive. Of which I, of course, course reject the premise that evolution is a tenable explanation for one, biology, or two, the origin of life, and by necessity, the origin of morality, having failed in its premise. Not only that, but Randy would have us believe his own version of the origin of morality, which is something that not even his own camp would agree on. You all don't agree with each other on, on either what is moral or the origin of morality. So, and I'm not trying to be divisive here, I'm just trying to come up with a suggestion that this would be very helpful. If you guys, as atheist, agnostics, and skeptics, I would put this challenge out to you. Come up with your own universal code of ethics. Be in agreement within your own camp on what that code of ethics is, and then you would have an origin of your morality. And then we can actually have a conversation that would be more productive in comparing your perspective to the Christian perspective. Right now, it's the Christian perspective versus Randy's personal view on both. So any argument for the origin of morality within the naturalist model or any subcategory of that is relying upon less obvious premises, less probable than objective morality from a moral law giver. Randy's foundation is built upon unprovable premises, which by necessity begs the question of ontology for morality. If the evolutionary model is true, it only accounts for your thoughts on morality and not the origin of morality itself. Again it is an epistemology versus ontology and that is the topic of today's discussion. One is the study of truth and the other is the origin of that truth. In this case, both sides are seeking to establish a higher probability for our respective model on the origin of morality, that is, our ontological model. Now let's talk about some of the objections to the moral argument that I just presented. The, the most common is going to be what's called the Euthyphro Dilemma, which some argue that because evil exists, God does not exist, or at least an all-powerful, all-loving God does not exist. Now, I've got to take a drink real quick to make this argument the arguer makes an assumption that there is an objective moral law otherwise the definition of what is evil becomes subjective rendering the argument itself pointless similarly some argue that the the god of the bible is evil based on their own definition of what is good um, and major misconceptions about the bible on top of that now this too renders the argument pointless as the argument requires the objectivity of morality to be valid to live as Christ, it is always the means that justify the ends, yet the means never violate the moral law. The Euthyro dilemma, uh, dilemma presented by Socrates is, essentially says this, quote, Is something good because the gods will it? Or did the gods will something because it is good? Unquote. The question actually appears to present a false dichotomy as the answer to the dilemma is God's will, if God wills something because he is good. It is almost as though Socrates recognized the, quote, gods they believed in were not enough, that some ultimate standard for good had to exist, that that standard would have to be a God of the gods. An argument often used against the God of the Bible existing is that God unjustly commanded the killing of innocent people. But if God is the giver of life, can he also not take it away? God cannot murder, he can take life away, but what makes that just? And in the case of examining events in the Bible where God does take life, it's necessary to take careful consideration for whether or not it was in fact good or evil. And we have to understand the fact that we would be sitting in judgment of whether or not God is in fact good or just or right in the actions that he takes to take one's life. Thereby one would have to have a morality that exists outside of oneself to make a claim on whether or not God has in fact done something that is not good. Now how can we come to understand how this is good if taking the life of the inno- if, if if he's taking the life of the innocent? And perhaps if, if we do have more time or if those questions, those kinds of questions come up, we'll address those. The standard of good has to be timeless. For to be in time means to change. Good cannot uh, evolve as society changes since there's no basis to compare the good to. It would only be what is, not what is good or bad. If good changes, becoming better or worse, depending on popular opinion, there really isn't good or bad, there's just actions. But as we can see in everyday life, good and bad truly do exist, even if the lines are blurred in some instances. Now, let me briefly state a few points about morality in anticipation of some of the objections to the moral argument from the Christian worldview. Moral law is not of herd instinct. If it were of herd, uh, it cannot be of herd instinct, or else the stronger impulse would always win, and it does not. The moral law is not social convention. It cannot be, because not everything learned from society is based on social convention. For example, math and logic are not based on social convention. The same basic moral laws can be found in virtually every society, past and present. Further judgments about social progress would not be possible if society were the basis of judgments. Morality would be the basis of judging moral progress and not the other way around. The moral law differs from the laws of nature. Moral law is not identified with the laws of nature. Because nature's laws are descriptive, which would be the is aspect, and not prescriptive, which would be the ought aspect. Moral laws tell you what the oughts are and not simply what the is is, if that makes sense. Factually convenient situations, would be the way it is, can be morally wrong. Someone who tries to trip me and fails is wrong, but someone who accidentally trips me would not be wrong. The moral law is not human fancy. That is, if it were fancy then all value judgments would be meaningless, including such statements as hate is wrong or racism is wrong. Therefore, it cannot be based off of fancy. Now, injustice does not disprove a moral lawgiver either. The main objection, objection to an absolutely perfect moral lawgiver is the argument from evil or injustice in the world. No serious person can fail to recognize that all murders, rapes, hatred, and cruelty in the world leave it far short of perfect, But if the world is imperfect, how can there be an absolutely perfect God? Now, C.S. Lewis answers this quite simply where he says, the only way the world can possibly be imperfect is if there is an absolutely imperfect imperfect standard by which it can be judged to be imperfect. For injustice makes sense only if there is a standard of justice by which something is known to be unjust, an absolute injustice and justice is possible only if there is an absolute standard of justice I've got about three minutes left and I'd like to summarize with this there is a necessity for moral absolutes of which orthodox Christianity has always defended moral absolutes moral absolutes um, before the the absolute nature of morality can be understood morality must be defined Several things are meant by moral obligation. First, a moral duty is good in and of itself. That would be the end. Not merely good as a means. Further, it's something we ought to pursue, which is a duty. Morality is the prescriptive aspect, not the descriptive aspect. It would be the ought as opposed to the is. Morality deals with what is right as opposed to what is wrong. It is an obligation, that for which a person is accountable. An absolute moral obligation is an ob- objective, not subjective, moral duty, a duty for all persons, an eternal, not temporal obligation, a duty at all times, a universal, not local obligation, and a duty for all places. An absolute duty is one that is binding on all persons at all times in all places. There's a lot of defense of absolutes and and there's a lot of reasons for defenses and absolutes there's distinctions to be made in absolutes there's differences between uh... the facts of what is versus the values of the oughts which we've described there's differences between value and instances of value there's differences between values and understandings between ends and means there's differences between commands and cultures and there's differences in applications But let's come to the conclusion where we say that moral absolutes are unavoidable. Even those who deny them use them. The reasons for rejecting them are often based on a misunderstanding or misapplication of the moral absolute, absolute, not on a real rejection of it. That is, moral values are absolute, even if our understanding of them um, or the circumstances in which they should be applied are not. Uh, and then we get into a lot of other questions that people would have regarding the problem of evil, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But let me just wrap it up this way. At the end of the day, um, I think what it comes down to is this. There's, there's three aspects of morality. Governing morality, societal influence on morality, and the origination of morality. What Randy has addressed would be the governing morality and the societal influence of morality through an evolutionary perspective without any... Um, conclusion being drawn as to the origin of morality. What Randy has given you today is an epistemology of morality, as as opposed to an ontology of morality. The object of today's uh, discussion and debate is supposed to be the ontology or the origin of morality. So all this to say is God's given you a real choice. You have a choice to choose between what is good and what is evil. And at the end of the day, you can go off of a subjective definition through what Randy has given you, or an objective definition of where morality has come from, which by necessity shows it must come from a moral law giver. So uh, let's put, I want to get our um, debate structure back up so we can see that. We've got 10 minutes of cross-examination, and Randy's going to go first. I want to put you up on the screen as well so we can share that. And then we're going to do um 10 minutes each of questions let me get the timer up there for 10 minutes and sweet okay so we've got that and whenever you're ready have at it
2: so i'm asking you just questions based on your opening statement
0: um yeah they they can be based off the opening statement or in general Uh, um i would yeah it doesn't matter to me. I would think that you'd have more questions based off of what I just said, so
2: yeah I took a bunch of notes so um, I, don't, I actually don't know where to start uh, <laughs> so, so what I did was i um, so my, in my opening, I went through basically a history of our, of our planet um, from single cell organisms to um, to basically current day, and I all all scientists agree i mean i guess if you take the one percent of uh creation scientists out there the ken hams and the you know um those people but i mean ninety-nine, ninety, literally 99 of 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 uh, scientists agree that that we've evolved that way that and within within the evolution you can clearly see the morality and i, I went through the origins uh, by the um, how it evolved the kin selection into social cooperation and it's, this is all like i said this is all through reading and research and stuff like that um but um so so it's not really subjective it's i definitely use external sources and um listen to professors and you know stuff like that took notes and kind of connected all the dots together um i guess one of the things that i i and this is interesting because i i, I would cringe when I, when I was sitting in the pews with my kids and uh, years ago, in, in church, and when, whenever, or if I'm listening to the radio, and I, whenever I would hear like a, a sermon about you know evil, evil proves that there must be justice. Um, the uh, lo- uh, what was the other one? Uh, that was a big one. You know, there must be ultimate justice if there's evil in the world. And then um, I don't know what was the other one. Uh, there. That, that was the big one so because i guess i've always and i always kind of cringe because i always thought back in my mind i'm thinking like no that's not proof for anything like um someone longing for justice or willing to do something um doesn't make anything true so if i need to pay my rent at the end of the month and i go to a casino and i tell the, the blackjack guy hey this is my last 50 bucks i have a 300 rent payment due i have to win i have to it's the only way i have to. like he's gonna look at me like i'm crazy so when we want you know if we want something to be true it never makes it true so if if there's an injustice that happens and injustice happens it doesn't mean that something's gonna be balanced out in the end unless we have evidence for that that doesn't mean that it will ever get justice i mean there's you can look at the oj simpson trial you can look at um, my wife just watched something last night about in the 19 late 1980s about all those black men in alabama that were uh, put on death row and convicted um, based on just corrupt police, they just basically had to had to um, find someone to, to fill the seat, and they, you know, they electrocuted them and stuff. It's, it's a movie that just came out either Netflix or something. That's an injustice, and there's no guarantee that will be righted. Now, as a society, we've, we've corrected that. The death penalty is largely gone in, in, the, in the country, um, but I mean, there's there's just because that was an injustice doesn't mean there has to be ultimate justice. That doesn't prove anything so a want or a will or a yearning or an uncomfortable uncomfortableness doesn't doesn't guarantee anything Um, so like I said whenever I would hear that from a pulpit that as a Christian I would always kind of like cringe like you know that that doesn't prove anything Um, the is from the odd so that's that's actually a pretty easy one so um, you can get you get an is um, from an odd or you get an actually you get an odd from an is when you have a goal so if you take the game of chess for instance there's I'm actually at my parents house there's a um, we're polish so for Poland we have a wooden chess game for Poland that was whittled out of you know by hand that's a a, a, a board it's a bunch of chess pieces that just is it's just wood um, there's there's nothing right or wrong about it there's nothing more about it except that made rules for that game so now that there's goals there are right and wrong moves for that chess game so when you have goals so if a goal for uh, for our, our our planet is equality and justice and we recognize autonomy and we, we, we recognize that we the necessity for social cooperation um, had had we had our ancestors not cooperated socially you and I would not be here discussing this we're, we're, we're survivors of ancestors that recognized equality and um, universal um, liberty and and, uh, and morality and that. So as soon as you assign a goal, and if, if, if the facts of reality are what, determine, the, what determines the goal on this planet. So is, there, is it wrong to walk around just bumping into people, um, like a football player or a hockey player? What if I just walked down the street or I walked, I went to work Monday and tomorrow and I just started bumping around people? Is that wrong? Yes, I'm violating people's equality. I'm, bottom, I'm violating their autonomy. Um, However, what if we had a planet... I don't know if you saw the movie Interstellar, which if anyone's never, never seen it, I would, I would recommend it. Fantastic movie. Largely, largely based on actual uh, uh, science. Uh, provable science, theoretical science. Anyway, he goes to different systems where time, an hour, because the gravitational pull, gravity affects time. He goes to a planet where an hour on that planet is seven years on Earth. I don't want to give away the, the spoiler alert, but he goes on a planet where an hour there is... Is, um, is seven 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 years here, time-wise, because that planet, uh, the mass of that planet has a, a larger gravitational pull. They also have frozen clouds. There's like carbon carbon dioxide uh, clouds that are frozen. That actually actually bumps into them with a spaceship, things like that. So they're on a planet like that. Maybe um, the, that but bumping into people um, causes you to generate uh, nutrition. So you bump into people, and just like plants can get. Um, generate food from the Sun maybe you can generate um, food from nutrition from bruises or bumping into people or or physical contact on a planet and a system somewhere else so that you don't know but the the, the facts of reality on this planet Earth in this in this system the solar system dictate that bumping into people would be wrong but you're violating their autonomy you're viol- violating their their equality um, so that's um, you're also infringing on their survival so that's the facts of reality dictate the goal the goal is what dictates the moral laws so um, the other thing I would say in relation to that is Occam's razor simplest explanation is often the correct one and you, you don't want to multiply entities unnecessarily so to, to add all this theoretical stuff like you know there must be some kind of like ontological philosophical you're 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 complicating things unnecessarily you're multiplying things unnecessarily when when the evidence is, is right in front of us um, you can sit down you can think about it you can look at the uh, The history of of civilizations the history of biology how what we've come from you can examine lower primates up to us more complex primates um you can uh you you can examine all that so and and i guess the last thing i would say i don't want to hug hug all the time but one of the last things i would say is um, philosophy is great it's definitely beneficial but it's a starting point so when you philosophy when you come up with a, a, a philosophy of something or a theory then have to empirically test it, and you have a te- you need a POC, a proof of concept. I do this at work all the time. When I develop a, a website or a software, I I I use a theory, a nebulous theory, say, hey, I bet we can if we add these uh, skimification to our, our member login, that we will draw more people. It's all theoretical, and then we actually have to do A/B testing. We have to we have to prove that. Same thing with you know, um, take I'm a big fan of Tesla take Tesla Elon Musk sat down and said you know what I bet we can get away from fossil fuels I bet we can um, we could run a car not only on, a, on, a, on electricity but on a battery and I bet that battery could even like you know power a car faster than a gas well that's all great that's a great theory that's a great philosophy eventually he had to sit down and, and start designing things start proving things and do a proof of proof of concept and then a, uh, an empirical proof so philosophy is great, but eventually that's a starting point. Eventually you have to do a test. And you can look at, at all the great philosophers in the past. They eventually had to go out and test things um, in order to validate something. So I think that covers um, this is from an odd consciousness. Um, I don't want to get into uh, much other stuff until you know, we get to that point. But I think that covers my, my, my notes from my,
0: um, okay, I I think that, and I I didn't want to interrupt you, um, but it that was it was I, it was supposed to be our cross examination time. If you wanted to ask me questions, but um, oh, I can do, I can do that. sorry. No, that's totally fine. What I would do um, if you wanted to, whenever it's your it, whenever it's the rebuttal, when, whenever we get to your rebuttal time, if you want to make that your cross examination time, that's cool too. So there's okay. only twenty seconds left anyway. So um, let me get this clock up to 10 minutes and then and then I will um, get into my questions for you so okay I should have those up there let me see so it, I want to start with about three-quarters of the way through your opening statement in your presentation you you um, you got to what really caught my attention and that was you gave a definition for morality you gave a definition for a moral system you gave a definition for moral evaluation and then you gave a definition for what uh the definition uh, uh, what would entail well-being within the three categories of those things so if we could start i want to start by asking you uh if you could define what morality was again please
2: yeah so i have like a kind of like a, a broad and then i have like a nuanced more specific but the the broad was a system of ideas about right and wrong conduct Um, it's a so also as a sub-definition of morality is a navigation is the navigation of a species to discover what's in its own best interest Um, and then we assess the moral evaluation of something um, based on the consequences of an action with respect to a goal um, morality has to do with not only behavior but also intentions. But yeah, the, the broad—I think the overarching—is um, Okay. a uh, system of ideas about right and wrong.
0: Okay, so sa- it's
2: a navigation of a species to discover what's in its own best interest.
0: Okay, now and there, that would lead me to a, a few other questions, which I'm going to get into. But you—you you went on to describe what that moral system itself is. Can you give me what that moral system is?
2: Um. I have, I have in my notes that well-being is, is the standard of morality, and um, the building blocks, I think might be what you're asking, is survival, equality, autonomy, and liberty.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, and then you talked about moral evaluation, which I think that you were just describing uh, in what your definition of morality was, where you said that we assess the best interest of someone based off of a goal. So you've got an end goal and you've got a moral evaluation based off of what that goal is. So it seems like whoever is establishing what this goal is and whoever is establishing what the well-being of these individuals are would be where you get your objective morality. So my question would be, who is defining for you within your worldview um, what well-being is for any given individual, and what the end goal is to define what that well-being is.
2: So it's it's not a who, it's a what. So the the what is the facts of reality. So like I said, if this what are system, those? So this system. So um, so so like for instance, like our survival, our equality, our autonomy, our liberty. So we know we would we would die as a, as a species if we didn't survive. Right. Um, survival. Survival and, and, uh, necessitates, you know, quality autonomy.
0: So, how Absolutely. is survival related to morality? Because it seems to me that if, if, uh, if, if morality evolves from uh, the natural process of, of survivability, that um, th- there would be less morality. There would be less um, empathy. There would be less love. There would be less desire to help others. Survive in conjunction with us, if it was all about survivability.
2: Nope, actually, actually, the exact opposite. Um, And what you see in like early hominids and in like ancient times, Bronze Age, biblical times, things like that, is what you see. That what 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 you see now is is a system of cooperation. And we so we've learned that when you cooperate, so we learn. Donald Trump notwithstanding, now this current president, but what we learned from other presidents is when you, if you go and you, you're diplomatic and you negotiate, you don't have to go to arms, you don't have to fight, you don't have to risk your life. So um, cooperation um, actually lent itself to survival, where, um, so, and you'll see this with chimpanzees, you'll see this with other humans. So if, if you and I, we live on a, a, uh, an island, and we're working together you know the certain people are cooking food certain people are hunting certain people certain people are forging um certain people are fishing um, certain people are taking care of the young certain people are building houses your survival is going to is going to greatly increase your your chance of survival if if you or i act like a jerk and we get kicked out of the tribe and we're on our own now we have to do all those seven things on our own the likelihood of us mm. dying off is, is is a lot higher than if, if we were working together in, in a social cooperative situation. Yeah. So we used to believe that, yes, in, in the cavemen times and in the biblical times and uh, pre-biblical times, we, uh, there was definitely people who believed that. But we have the advantage now to look. To uh, Sam Harris talks about we have these pinnacles. We can stand down and look back in time and say, oh, you know what. That World War Two was a terrible idea. That World War One, that Vietnam was a terrible idea, or that marginalizing people, marginalizing gays, or or um, telling black, cause they couldn't drink out of the same water fountain as you. That was really terrible. Um, or, you know, uh, raping, women, taking a, a woman to be your wife because you feel like there's a divine, divine command for that. That was a terrible idea. That it, this is what happened to these women. We have the we have the benefit of looking back into time. But yes, a long time ago, what you're saying is correct. But now it's actually the opposite. Social cooperation um, actually lends itself to survival. Okay, op- so,
0: so what I'm what I'm gathering, I really want to make sure that I understand your position, um, so that when I get to the closing statement, I can I can give an accurate summary of what you believe. You, what I'm gathering is you're saying that through evolution, um, there were there were there was a development that started with chemicals that allowed for a relationship and bonding. This led to kin selection uh, that through time led to uh, genes resulting in man- mammals sharing food, safety, bearing relationships together, like uh, with emotional responses of empathy and sympathy and even love. There was a desire to reduce harm, to help kin, and you see this in all religions. You've seen this in all non religions as well with ethical theories to form um, the policies that affect all people. Um, and and then you talked about the development of the human cortex that takes 25 years to develop you've got genetic mutations and all of that led up to your argument for what morality is your moral system and your moral evaluation based off of the well-being of the individual so my question it, my question remains um, and I, I think needs to get a better understanding for how you define well-being and how it, what if my what if my definition of of well-being is different than your own what if what if my well-being is for you to not exist or what if the well-being of, of uh, uh, the German Reich would be for the Jews to not exist who determines whose well-being is the well-being of the people and and what policies are established in order for us to determine whether or not it was in fact right or wrong so,
2: so the goals dictate that and when you, you you have goals of of equality and survival
0: where are yeah. these goals coming from
2: the, the facts of reality dictate that. So you're not if you if you start extinguishing races and extinguishing people and you you violate them, that you know you're you're infringing on their well-being. You're you're.
0: But that seems circular to you're, me. You're uh, saying their- you're you're saying that uh, the the definition of the well-being of the ind- individual is determined by. Um, it's determined by the governing policies of, of the people who define what the well-being is, and it's based off of the well-being of the individual. That seems circular to me. It's like, well, we make policies based off of well-being, and we know what well-being is based off of our policies. Um, so, it again, it seems to me like, what is your definition of well-being, and who is deciding what this well-being is to determine our policies? So let
2: me see if I, if I have well-being defined.
0: And I know that, see, and I had quoted Sam Harris and how he well, defined well-being as well.
2: Yeah, so, um, I, so my notes, so, well, well-being well is universal. I remember thinking about this the other day in preparation. for this. So, well-being is universal, and I think actually Sam Harris talks about this. So, even the religious person, even the Christian or, or the Muslim, so, well-being is the standard, and even you would hold to it. So, let me ask you, so you would not want me to go to hell, right?
0: No, of You're course right? not. No.
2: Okay, why?
0: Because it's in your best interest to not go to hell. But there, it's more than that. It's it's more than that. Just because I don't want you to go go to hell, because it's not in your interest to go there. It's because God has actually done something to intervene, so you wouldn't have to go there.
2: But I mean, what, what's what's wrong about going to hell? It's it's hot there, right? Or it's torturous, or it's lonely, or it's 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 um unfulfilling, right? So it, it's affecting my well being. So the 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 problem of going to hell is i'm separated from god for all eternity i'm i'm unfulfilled for all eternity i whether i'm being eaten by, eaten by worms or burned by fire or just walking in darkness for all eternity it it's affecting my well-being So well-being is a universal standard that even a religious person would hold to. But
0: but my point is this. Even when Sam Harris says, and and what I quoted in my introduction, is is he says, the heights of happiness for the greatest number of people is the definition of well-being. But somebody is determining what the heights of happiness and morality for the reality of human flourishing would be to make it universal. So not everyone it has a universal opinion on what is what makes them happy like some people do get happy from murdering children some people do get happy from raping women some people do have a a, a happiness from these things that is not universal so at the end of the day to me it seems like the problem with that is that science doesn't establish for anyone that it's morally incumbent on them that as opposed to just useful to them to endorse the flourishing of all so it it seems like at the end of the day, it's still your code of ethics that is, is is not self-authenticating on what morality actually is. It's not self-authenticating. It's something that changes over time. So I guess my last question is, will morality today be the same as it was 100,000 years ago as it will be 100,000 years from today?
2: Uh, no I'm, I'm actually glad you asked that no it'll actually be better and that was that's one of my questions I'm gonna have, I'll have for you is um, I don't want to give it away now but okay. that's um, why so we can look back and we've evolved morality has evolved it's it's done nothing but um, virtually just go in one direction it's it's we're living the best of times in almost every measurement of times so if you read Stephen Pinker's book he has all the data to support that the better angels of our nature if anyone has not read that. I suggest I read it. Um, but morality is, is going, is, is, constantly improving and constantly getting better. And I, I, have this, my questions for you and I have some examples to ask you about. Um, so in a hundred years from now, um, you know, barring a natural disaster or something that, um, you know, who, who knows what can happen if the earth will still be here, but a uh, hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, we see morality going in one direction only. Um, and I'll, I'll get into that later. Um, with my question for you, but, yeah. Um, I guess I was thinking when you were asking. So it's it's almost like it's I hate to say it, a democratic sense where people are in charge. In in a sense, it's that, but but more specifically, well, it's it's well-being with checks and balances. So um, you grant liberties. So the the um, non-religious, the secular view is that you grant all liberties and then you start to restrict as as they. As they uh, affect other people, so you grant all. So and what religious does is basically is, is virtually the opposite, where you you grant nothing and then you you kind of like let's see if this is okay, let's see, let's you know one thing at a time. Where the, the secular view is, you grant liberties and you scale back from there as it infringes on people's rights. So it's well being with checks and balances. So if well being for me is to is to go for a great run um, tomorrow morning before work, and well being for a guy down the street is to rape small children that's um we, we are you know if we both get pleasure out of that that's fine but you, you have checks and balances where if i run tomorrow it affects nobody as long as i make it to work on time it affects nobody if i go for a run if he's if he's uh raping children or women you're you're, you're violating he's there's unequ- inequality there they're suffering potentially there's um you're violating their autonomy so those checks and balances are in place that's why i mentioned those checks and balances so it's well-being is the pinnacle and like i said i could argue that it's also the pinnacle for for religious people too but it, it's but the survival equality autonomy liberty is is like the checks and balances so yes that's when you, you know my well-being or yours versus hitler's or uh, or a sense of uh of uh, flourishing or happy which you use happiness ultimate, ultimate flourishing or happiness i think you said sam harris uses so your ultimate happiness and mine is is both open until we start violating Until we hit a checks and balance, where we're violating someone's survival, their equality, their autonomy, their liberty. Awesome. No, that's really helpful. Dude,
0: no, that's really helpful. I appreciate that. Until we start infringing on other people. Okay. Um, So yeah, let's do. You did ten minutes of uh, rebuttal on that last round. Do you want to do seven minutes of cross examination? Would that work for you now? Yeah. Okay. And clock is up. So whenever you're ready.
2: All right, so I kind of gave away my first question. but um, So our, our views about right and wrong have changed, um, clearly. If the source of morality is divine, why has morality progressed? If the Ten Commandments, for instance, were suffice, why did we have to come up with the concept of democracy and the, um, the UN have to come up with the Universal Declaration of Human Rights? So the UDHR, Universal Declaration of Human Rights, that came up by the United Nations in 1948, It set out for the first time fundamental human rights to be universally protected, and it has been translated in over 500
0: languages. Yeah, no, that's a good question, man, and I think at the end of the day, the fundamental difference between your view and my view is going to come down to this point right here, and it's related to um, the first question you just asked me um why why is morality why does it seem to change over time and why do we have to establish them in governing policies essentially is what i'm hearing in the question did i hear that correctly is that kind of a a good summary
2: yeah so for instance like it and i have a a, just a side note um if if uh well i have a part b to that but so I i have a note that says um If we look across the last 5,000 years, it's clear that moral standards have improved in most of the world. For example, rape, slavery is now widely outlawed. Children are protected from forced marriage. Minorities are protected from discrimination. Gay people are no longer killed. Women are are able to hold positions of leadership. Interracial marriage is now allowed. Death penalty is largely abolished. Um, The only place we see no moral growth is in religious fundamental areas like uh, certain parts of the United States, Uganda, Iraq, Syria. So... You clearly see just the moral arc going in one direction um, on this planet.
0: Yeah, I'm, it's, you know. so I'm sure that you've got more questions. I don't want to take all your time on this one. Um, let me let me give a summary of what my position is. I, I think the Christian perspective is that we do have moral absolutes. So that means that, we, that morality is going to remain the same 100,000 years ago today as it will be 100,000 100, years um, from today. And, and your, you, you took the position that it wouldn't be because it changes based off of uh, a lot of different factors that we've that we spent a lot of time to talk about. And I'm grateful get for better. that. It, or it, it, did, get, it could get, get better. better. Yeah. Uh, so my point is this. Morality is going to stay the same. Now, why do we have these societal changes and these political changes and these governing changes um, like what you see with in, in racism and in women's rights and the rights of of um, of minorities in America, of what what it was 100 years ago, or even 50 years ago, to what it is today, and what the Christian per- perspective says um, on that is the mor- the moral absolute has remained the same. The discoverability of those mora- those morals is is something that is intrinsically a part of of humanity, but something that does take time to incorporate into the governing policies and all of those things. It's not that. Um, the morality of of women, um, or or the um, the equality of women and minorities in America, somehow changed in the last hundred years. The Christian worldview says no. The minorities in America were just as valuable as they were before those political changes happened. In your in your worldview, you would have to say, well, the majority decided that they were of equal value now when they didn't. They decided they weren't of equal value before. What we're saying is we've discovered that they were of equal value, and it was something that was outside of us that was greater than at us to reveal to us that they were in fact of equal value. And I think it creates more of a problem in your worldview to say no, you know what the minorities were not i mean they objectively morally were not of equal value uh, because the 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 policies reflected that that it had um all the all the the ways that it it affects people and infringing on their liberties their rights and their quality um but over time it's changed what it is today and now it's it's better than it was yesterday um because of that so to me i can look back in history and say no we were wrong because we were objectively wrong as a society um, and and that's something that's greater than us and outside of us but um, that would be my answer to that there's a lot more to be said on it but uh, yeah if you want to go on to the next question that'd be greater. if you want to follow up that's cool too
2: yeah I, just, I guess I could because I don't have a huge closing so I guess I could add some of this to my closing but, but I also want to give you a chance to respond so it, it, that's a hard sell for me only because um you you have like ten commandments. You have other Jewish laws and that, and it could easily have, you know, they, someone could easily put, um, God could easily put in the, in the Bible, said, listen, it's wrong to own someone's property under any circumstances. It's wrong to not have a woman speak in, in any kind of formal setting. It's wrong for people to deny interracial marriage. It's wrong to to rape a woman, whether it's a she's spoil of war, whether she's you know, uh, whether you need her as a wife. It's just it's always always wrong. And it seems like we had to fight for that um, as opposed to having that from the start. Okay. It would, you know.
0: okay, so I've got a minute and a half to give an answer on this. Let, yeah. let me do the best that I can in a minute and a half, and I'll just say it this way. Um, when we talk about the, a person being the property of another person, or we talk about uh, a man raping a woman as a spoil of war, or we talk about the rights of a woman to be able to stand up and speak, um, or we talk about um, what people commonly would characterize as genocide in the Bible at the command of God. Um, and we talk about these sorts of things. We have to understand that, that it, we've got to be extremely careful, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. I would say that even even you don't want to misrepresent what the Christian worldview is when it comes to these passages. Um, so I, I think that when we're talking about slavery and we're talking about owning one person owning another person as property we have to understand the context of what we're talking about when people hear the word slavery today you think chattel slavery of uh, the colonial the 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 american historical perspective on what chattel slavery was that is not the slavery of the bible the slavery of the bible was an economic system of what we would call indentured servitude and it's no different today it's seemingly seemingly no different today than uh, you signing a contract to go work for someone in 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 uh, exchange for monetary value. Now, if you sign a contract to whatever it is that you do for a living. Randy, if you sign a contract that you're going to do something for somebody in this case, and and in return, they're going to give you this in return. That is very similar. That would take a lot of of time to break down and what it was like in the Bible. And um, there's just, there's so much that we would have to do to break that down and what the differences are, Uh, especially when it comes to the the idea of one person owning another person as a possession. The Bible describes that possession as Being their monies, and not being not being someone who uh, had a right over them as like they would a piece of farm equipment, but the right over them that it's 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 kind of a contractual basis because there were punishments for how the the master or the owner or the person who owns that contract was to treat that individual. Uh, Say that say that the owner or the master the 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 um, whatever you want to call them um, gave that slave a black eye or knocked out a tooth the same was to be required of the master or he had to set him free if he were to kill his slave that his life would be required for killing him now um you get into some of these uh, what we call case law situations in the Old Testament, and it takes a lot of time to decipher when when uh, what I see a lot of the time is agnostics and atheists and skeptics I'm not saying you in particular because honestly I don't think that you would do this a lot of, a lot of these people do drive by what I call drive by shootings when it comes to not literal drive by shootings, but a drive by like uh, genocide slavery references like this, that this is the Christian worldview or this is the God of the Old Testament and that is not the case whatsoever um, and, and that's where I'm like you know what we got to look at these in a case by case basis a lot of these situations were the judicial system of the nation of Israel that would be what we would call in America the judicial system of our constitution with case law situations like if this happens here's how you handle it in this situation this is what's right in this situation this is what's wrong in the outcome of this, this situation um, but when we're talking about that in respect to the origin of morality that's totally different man it's totally different. Um, and it would take time to break that down, which we don't have, but, and I took too much time to answer that, but you've only asked two questions. So if you want to ask me one more, um, I'm totally open to that.
2: Yeah. I guess we, at some point we should get into that because I purposely, I used my, my words, uh, carefully. Yeah. So I, I found, I found context where, um, God was instructing people to ravish, ravish the woman. And that, and that's translated to rape. Um, It even talks about them telling him to sneak up behind women and take them for their wives. It also tells them to take the virgins and not the ones that have known a man. And then in Exodus 21, it talks about how you can beat your slave as long as they don't die within a day or two. Now, I've heard the, you know, um, like slavery being back then just like as if I were to go play for the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm under a contract, I can be traded, I can blah, blah. Yeah. That's... (laughs) And all, with all due respect, that's not even close. Uh, um, uh, Patrick Mahomes could walk off the field at any time and go home and never play football again. He could never talk to the owner again. He could never talk to Andy Reeves again. Um, he can do whatever he wants. he They also don't have the ability to beat him as long as he doesn't die within a day or two. So thats it's not even close. And there was, there was even different um, – it, it talked about that um, – there's two sets of rules, so there, there was a separate set of rules for Jewish slaves and a separate set of rules for non-Jewish slaves. Um, there was—it's it, the more you dig into it, the worse it gets. But I mean, there—there sh- there should never be a, a point in history where owning a person is property, um, in any context where that's that's allowable. And like I said, that the the, the analogies that I've heard drawn to like let's just like a software developer or a football player. The football player has the ability to walk off the field, never never play football again, and never be beaten never be owned as property, never be um, let go after seven years unless they marry uh, a slave woman, then they're then They're the slave owner's property forever. It's like, it's. there's a lot more, I, I don't want to go off on a huge rabbit trail, but there's, I, I purposely didn't, um, you know, I, I don't do a drive-by You know about the Malakites and genocide, and it's so no different than the Nazis, like I hate when people do that, that's ridiculous, but I, I, I picked my words very carefully with the slavery and the um, you know, um, you have with the inequality, you have you also have um, yeah, so like in eighteen forty five Southern Baptist Convention split away from the church after Northern Baptists refused to allow slave owners to become missionaries. So I mean you have you not only do you have an understanding of slavery, but you also have people even as, as recent as eighteen forty five like splitting away from that. And then you have um, in 1967, the Supreme Court struck down bans on interracial marriage in Virginia. Yeah. 16 states still had such laws. So, I mean, it's it's kind of like... Um, I don't want to go all over the place, but it's, it's a little... Maybe we could talk about slavery at some point. We could have a discussion on that or we have a debate on that because it's... it's I, I've heard yeah. I've heard your side of it, and it's, it, it's not satisfying the more you dig into it. But just to get into the... The part B of my question, because I know we're running out of time here, yeah. um, and it's, it's, it's directly related. So if, if morality has a divine source, why why have religions become more moderate? Judaism and Christianity are two examples, and we are seeing a movement right now for Islam to follow. They're becoming more mo- moderate. Female genital mutilation is no longer um, widely uh, practiced. Honor killings are becoming less and less. Women driving are, are being allowed burqa and hijab leniency are, we're seeing that so the, the arc has always had in one direction so if, if morality has a divine source why religion is coming more moderate why are we no longer burning witches um in, and in 18 in 1555 I have a thing where Rowan Taylor was executed uh, due to, to heresy he told the church that that the communion was not the actual body and blood of, of Jesus Christ in February 9th in 1555 he appeared um with two others before Bishop of Winchester, and he was charged with heresy and dividing the church. They put a black hood over his head in a crowded street, and they tied him to a stake and burned him to the stake. So you have, as recent as 1555, the 16th century, you have radical Christianity. You have you currently have radical Islam. It's what was starting to be moderated. You, like I said, they passed a driving law just in December, maybe, in the in the in That UN, um, United Emperor. Uh, arabic emirates that uh arabic women are now able to drive so um i guess like i said to, to recap if if morality has a divine source why are religious why are religions becoming more moderate
0: yeah um okay so we've got three minutes left for our open dialogue and then we're going to go to three minute closing statements um what i would say is i don't have any idea what <laughs> what you're looking at um, when you say that religion is getting more moderate, and give me a chance to explain here because what I see is I, I see I see things becoming a lot more extreme. I do see um, it kind of an effort to find commonality between uh, religions, but I also see the extremes of religions becoming more extreme. Um, I, I, I see a lot of that uh, over in in the African nations, um, in the Middle Eastern nations. Uh, and it seems like the majority of, of what we're talking about, tolerance, um, is, is becoming actually more intolerant towards the Christians. Um, and and if, I don't know if you know this or not, but the, the most persecuted religion in the world um, is Christianity today. I mean, Christians are being killed all over the place around the world. Um, but you also see an increase of people becoming Christians around the world, and it's in extreme cases. If, if, if you look at what it's like to become a christian coming out of of islam or judaism you are disowned and in some cases you're sentenced to death Uh, it's illegal to preach um, from a christian bible in many many nations across the world when i don't that's why i'm saying i don't understand what you're looking at i think if we're looking at a standard for morality the christian worldview is going to say you know what what was moral a hundred thousand years ago um, or if you're a young earth creation, 6,000 years ago, um, um, as to what it is today and as what, what it will be 6,000 years from now. Um, and, and when we're looking, we would have to, I think that we do need to come back to that, um, some of the slavery or, or some of the Old Testament examples that you brought up that really, I think, need a lot more delicacy and a lot more intricate uh, detail and conversation about from, from the Christian worldview uh, to give an explanation for what we believe about those specific scenarios. Um, but when, those are the things that I'm looking at to say, well, what is the, object, what is the objective standard of morality? Because your, your worldview says that it could change. It will be different. And if, in fact, your worldview says the church was wrong, Catholic church was wrong to do what you described happening um, in, in that example that you gave or the Southern Baptist Convention doing what you described they did in the 1800s, I would say they were wrong. I'm not a, I'm not a Roman Catholic. When I look at my heritage of Christians, the Roman Catholic Church is not a Christian church. It never has been. It never has been. The Roman Catholic Church has persecuted the heritage of my people that we, we literally have books written about it called The Trail of Blood, The Martyr's Mirror on reflections of what, what has happened in the persecution of people who believe the Bible and that morality is what it is um, and, and that it's not going to change. So when we talk about morality and we talk about what's right or wrong, You don't have a standard to define like this is right or wrong because if the majority decides and the policies decide that this is right, you would have to go with it. You would have to. You would have to say this is objectively right because one, this is what society has decided. And two, it creates the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people um, in the way that you defined equality, um, diversity, uh, um, not infringing on the right of someone else. Uh, but what troubled me the most about what you said was and I want to find this quote um, what troubled me the most was when you said if we were both if we both like raping babies and we both like raping women that's fine but there is inequality there and infringing on someone else's rights it's the survival equity autonomy and the reality that changes over time to give us our moral code Uh that is very troubling to me. You say that raping babies and raping women is fine. You don't have an objective standard to say it's wrong, except for the fact that it it is inequity to the person that it's being infringed upon. So when we're talking about well-being, that's where it becomes really deeply troubling for me to be able to go to adopt your worldview to get to the point that you could say, if the majority decided this was fine or relative or the well-being for the person, who, who who are we taking into account that it, it just it, it it gets really complicated there so let's go ahead and jump into our if I
2: could just have like 30 seconds so yeah that that's a misquote. we can obviously when the, when the podcast comes out you can hear me so I was given an example I said about checks and balances you said well, what if what if a person's um, idea of pleasure is this and, and someone else is that I said I said so Monday morning if I decide to go for a run and that's that's um, extreme happiness for me and then if someone decides to go rape a woman or a child next to extreme happiness to them we have checks and balances my, my going for a run affects nobody as long as I get to work on time um, Monday morning um, someone going to, to rape a, a child or a woman affects the woman affects her autonomy affects her equality affects her liberty I mean affects her rights that's that's why it's wrong you're asking I didn't say that was right I said that those are the reasons in my in, in a secular world view Without some kind of uh, deistic type of, of overlord, that's why it's wrong. Be, because you're violating someone. So I, that's why I said because you said yeah. well, what if you know what if someone decides. that so I was showing that we're both. I enjoy running, and this person apparently enjoys violating people. Why is it wrong? Because the the religious uh, objection is well, without a god, how do you know what's wrong? Anyone could just no. We have checks and balances. You can't. If you and, if we both enjoy if I enjoy drinking beer and this other person enjoys drinking blood of goats and they're going and they're they're slaughtering everyone's goats it's wrong because you're violating someone's property it's you know that there's checks and balances that that, that can be put in place easily
0: um, okay so I, I don't want to misquote you so yeah I would have to go back and listen to it that's what I typed in as as you were saying it so maybe I typed it in wrong and that's totally fine I, I hope I did hear you wrong on that so yeah um, let me uh, – let's go to our three-minute closing statements, and I'll let you have it first, and then I'll I'll go after you.
2: All right. Yeah, I actually didn't type one out. I was hoping to um, – I have a, a couple sentences, but I was hoping to um, to kind of build one based on, on the notes and that. But uh, let's see. So I have um, a, a, div- a divine-based morality is a – destructive to humans. Theists actually bear the burden of proof of being immoral. With theism, morality is reduced to mere obedience. We are now simply following orders from a grand master dictator. That is being, that is not being moral. It's, it's actually abdicating moral responsibility. It's abdicating the conscious drive of moral deliberation. Being obedient is not moral. It's, it's the abdication of morality. It's moral outsourcing. So when you actually, when you're, if, if two people go out, um, for dinner and their child misbehaves and when you get home one one set of parents tells the child hey um, next time we go out to eat if you if you behave I'll give you a treat if you misbehave you're gonna get a spanking and if another family goes and tells a child hey listen um, there's a reason people go out they're trying to enjoy a meal by you're disrupting their meal you're infringing on, on their on their freedom on their rights You know, think if you put yourself in their place, if you were trying to enjoy a meal, why, you know, you wouldn't want someone screaming in your ear or jumping around or knocking plates over or this and that. Next time those two families go out to dinner, they might get the same um, result, but one child's going to be more moral than the other child. The other child's doing it because we're dangling carrots. The other child is doing it because there's someone watching over them and there's a reward system. Um, It's... It's more moral if you understand empathy, if you exercise empathy and compassion and equality. Um, So that's, you know, that's um, basically my my closing. I believe a secular moral system and a a moral system that um, has goals in mind and basically um, the facts of reality dictate the goals. So what we know exists, we know this reality exists, we know it it hurts to bump into other people, we know that um, social cooperation lends itself to a more moral society, a more productive society, a survival—you um, know—having a, a wishful thinking that um, there's going to be some kind of something in the end, in the next game, that's going to balance out the justice system, and that—that's that, great. It's you know, if that helps some people get through their day, that's wonderful. But um, we see society moving to an evidence-based system where we want to know for the here and now, for right now. How does how do we get along? How do we survive? How do we have equality? How how do marginalize people? How do how do minorities? How do gays? How do uh, handicapped people? How do we protect them? How do we ensure their equality? How do we ensure their liberty? How do we treat them as, as other humans? Well, the facts of reality dictate that we can we have mirror neurons. We can put ourselves in their in their position and say, listen: if I was in a wheelchair, if I was handicapped, if I only had one leg, if I was a minority, if I was um, if I was um, in that situation, how would I want to be treated? So that that, um, that system of ideas about right and wrong conduct and being able to look back in the past and see how people did it wrong and as morality keeps evolving. And I wanted to say that, um, yes, morality will change. Um, it will change for the better. So in 10 years, it'll be better than it was today. In 20 years, it'll be better than it was 10 years from now. Um, morale, you see the moral arc... Going in one direction. If you read Stephen Pinker's book, *The Better Angels of Our Nature*, um, he shows that we are living in the best of times. We uh, we are most more civilized. We are healthier than any other uh, era of any any society ever, and it keeps heading in one direction. Um, so that that you know, in closing, like I said, I believe uh, morality has come from a system of ideas about right and wrong. I believe that. Well-being is a standard of morality, and that the checks and balances of that morality, as we see as evidence, our survival, equality, autonomy, and liberty—they're the building blocks and the guide to morality—and they dictate the goal. If our goal is to survive, to give people liberty and autonomy and equality, um, and that ensures their well-being, and their well-being is a standard. And that's 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 how that's why we've seen society progress to the point it has today. Why why we're not why we're not we're not. In, enslaving people I, I can wrap up there, that's okay
0: Okay, I'm going to go into let me get the camera back on me, my wife has got to go I'm going to do my three minutes and then jump off here real quick So um, let me say this, I, I'm not going to change the timer, but I'm just going to take the three minutes the best I can um, to the best of my ability, What the point of the conversation tonight was supposed to be was the origin of morality What we've heard tonight from Randy's perspective is the discoverability of what morality is and how morality changes. He hasn't actually given an explanation for the origin of morality outside of uh, extremely skeptical premises that are unverifiable. Um, He says that the facts of reality determine the goals, the goals determine the policies, the policies dictate what is right for the greatest good, and it, it, it only gets better over time. And I hope that you guys can see, for those of you who are still watching, or those that you will watch later, that this is absolutely 100%, totally a subjective point of, of view here. Um, there's no objectivity to it, and I hope that you guys can see that. I hope that you can see um, why it's so imperative uh, for the necessity of absolute, more um, um, uh, absolute, mor- uh, the defense of absolutes, moral absolutes. Without moral absolutes, you have no ability to actually say this is right or this is wrong. What you can say is um, this is not right nor wrong, but it's, it's actually causing harm or infringing upon someone else's rights, so you shouldn't do this. But you cannot actually, in fact, objectively say this is wrong. Um, and in fact, that's going to change over time. So say over time, society does say it's okay to rape babies. So some, say sometime over time, the majority uh, of the goal is to get rid of the Jews, that it does become policy, that it does um, actually go into policy, that people act on it. And it, that actually did happen. We can look back on those things and say, no, this was objectively morally wrong, whether or not the majority agreed on it, whether or not society agreed on it, whether or not the policy said it was right or wrong, because it was objectively wrong. And, uh, and I think that it doesn't actually get better over time. What we can see in morality is that the morals of America and the morals of the world is actually getting worse. When we've lost our perspective on who the moral lawgiver is and we've lost our perspective on what morality is, it all becomes totally subjective and relative to whatever you think it should be. And uh, that's where we're talking about the differences between a what is and, and an ought. We're talking about a duty versus a necessity and in and, in and, and, and relative to what morality is and the origin of morality. So I think that when we consider what Randy's position is and we consider what my position is on the origin of morality, you can either say that it came about through evolutionary means that has not been proven tonight, that there is highly unlikely that it literally came from purified chemicals that had to have been purified and pure chemicals to start something from nothing that violates the the own laws of nature that we see within nature itself to get to the point that we have a sentient being of which Randy has not offered any explanation for where sentience comes from where consciousness comes from and at the end of the day if you are going to take the naturalist perspective through an evolutionary biological process you have no reason to trust what you are actually doing in the first place because it's all determined through a chemical process with molecules in motion and you're only dancing to your DNA You have no evidence of yourself being conscious. You have no evidence of you yourself having a free will to be able to choose between right and wrong because you can't identify what right and wrong is in the first place. You're just doing what your nature tells you you should do. So... Uh, with that said, guys, I hope that you can consider uh, and, and really weigh between the two options and come to a rational conclusion that it is morally objective to say that God is the moral lawgiver. So with that said, guys, I'm going to wrap it up. My wife is telling me she's got to go. My daughter's coming up to me right now. So um, we're going to cut out and uh, um, I'll give you an update online for what to expect in the next few weeks. But there are some exciting things coming around the corner. So, anyways, Randy, let me put you back on the screen. It's good to have you on again, and I appreciate you coming on. Maybe we can um, look at in the future doing something to talk about slavery or um, kind of uh, Old Testament passages that you would say are probably not morally good. So, I don't know. We'll see. But anyways, thanks for coming on again. God bless, and we'll talk to you um, sometime soon, man. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Bye, guys.